If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them to Ephesians chapter 3. We, at Christmas time, we do participate in an offering for international missions, and there's four things that I'm asking our church to be a part of whenever it comes to missions. Well, first of all, I've asked you to pray. Pray for missionaries, pray for those that have never heard the gospel, pray for those that the Lord is working in their heart, that they might come to know Christ as Lord and Savior. I've also asked you to give, particularly here as we think about the Christmas offering, I've asked you to give a Christmas gift to the Lord at Christmas time and do something that you say, I'm giving this because uh, this is my Christmas gift to the Lord and through the International Mission Offering, you can be a part of that. Just indicate on your offering envelope uh, the missions portion and we'll, be, we'll make sure that it goes towards the mission offering. I asked them to play this video specifically because I think from our church there are some that God is calling to go. And students, if you saw on the video, all the folks on the video were around your age. And there are opportunities for you to go to various parts of the world and be a part of mission activity uh, for one year, two years, three years. And so I believe that as you pray and you seek God for what do I need to do in the future, that for some of us, he's going to call us to go. And then fourth, as a church, I want us to be a sending church that takes very seriously the responsibility that we have to send people to go and share the gospel here in our community and ultimately around the world. Well, how many of you are traveling for Christmas? How many of you are going to be traveling somewhere at Christmas time? How many of you are traveling less than 100 miles for Christmas? That, that would be me. I'm going zero miles this year for Christmas because my wife's going to have a baby soon and we're not going anywhere uh, at Christmas time. How many of you are going over over 200 miles for Christmas. Anybody going over 200 miles? All right, let's find who the winner is. Okay, who's going to go over 500 miles for Christmas? Anybody going over 500 miles for Christmas? 8.30 service has you beat. Okay, we got it. We got it. It's kind of, it's like almost like 493 or something like 440. Okay, I got 440 going once, 440 going once. Do I hear 442? Do I hear 442? Any 444? 440 going once, going twice. Oh, we got 444 over here. How many are you going? How many are you? He's, she could, do what now? You're going overseas, aren't you? Okay, that wins. All right, everybody, Allie, Allie wins. Congratulations, Allie. I, I think there's something that we need to remember as believers in Christ, and that is that Christmas is a distinctly Christian holiday during which billions of believers all over the world gather with our families to celebrate the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. We invite everybody to celebrate Christmas with us because the message of Christ ultimately extends to everyone, but at its heart, it is a distinctly Christian holiday. In verse 14 of Ephesians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul writes, For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. You see, glued tightly to Christmas is this concept that we call family. And if you think about the wording there in verse 14, he says, For this reason, I'm kneeling before the Father. In other words, he is praying before the Father. And he acknowledges that it is from God that every family, both heavenly families and earthly families, are named. Family is part of the God story. God 
we discuss God in terms of family. We have God the Father, God the Son. Whenever we think of Jesus being born in Bethlehem, he was born into Mary and Joseph's family. Mary and Joseph then had other children, and Jesus found security, and he found love as being a part of a family. As believers, we are, called, we are, we are able to call God our Heavenly Father. The church is described as a church family, and we are described as brothers and sisters in Christ. The reason why many of us will travel somewhere at Christmas is because we want to go see and be a part of family. Family is part of the Christmas story. It's also part of the Christian story. Every Christmas, my wife gets addicted to the Hallmark Christmas movies. Anybody else ever seen the Hallmark Christmas movies? I think they start showing them like in August and July. Yeah, and I, I'm not a big fan of them, but I'm a big fan of my wife, and so I endure uh, some of those Christmas movies along the way. And the other day, she was watching one called Let It Snow, and it starred the Growing Pains dad. I mean, child of the 80s, you know, the Growing Pains dad, that got my attention there. And, and the plot was that his wife died young, and so he raised his daughter, and because of the pain of losing his wife early in life, he kind of raised her without Christmas. But then as the daughter grew up, she began discovering the joys of Christmas. And so the movie began painting this contrast. The daughter was discovering what Christmas was and being a part of a family and being part of a community. And meanwhile, the dad was all alone. And there was this lonely scene where the dad who had achieved great wealth was eating dinner all alone in a five-star restaurant, and then he was going to a hotel suite, and he was all alone. And as I'm watching this, I, I hear this going on, and so I look over at my wife, and there's tears coming down her face. I'm like, are you crying? And, and she's like, stop it. I, I'm pregnant, and it's your fault anyway, okay? So, so uh, you know, I mean, but the idea of not having a family, the idea of being alone, it makes us feel insecure, uh, it makes us feel alone, depressed. It may even make you feel a little bit angry. And the reason why is because God didn't design you to live all by yourself. God, God designed you to live in a family. And I understand that some of us don't have what we might consider the ideal family situation, but God also designed us to live in the family of the church, to live in the extended family that we enjoy. We are wired in such a way that we have this longing to be a part of family. Well, verse 15 teaches us something that's very important. It teaches us that God is the source of family. Paul writes, I bow before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Family is a page one teaching in the Christian faith. If you go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1, the very first word of Scripture, in the beginning God created what? Heavens and the earth. And so what is established in the opening line of Scripture is that life is not an accident. Life is a gift from God. As champions, as Christians, we always must champion 
the value of life because we believe that life is a divine gift. And so we must oppose any idea that tries to reduce life down to something that can be just uh, reduced to a choice. Life is a divine gift from our Heavenly Father. Well, when you move into verse 27 of Genesis chapter 1, the Scriptures say human beings are created in the image of God. And then there's a descriptor, male and female. And we, so we see in the very first chapter of the Bible that gender is also a divine choice, that God put us together in such a way, He wired us in such a way that there is a divine complement of gender. And whenever you see male and female being uh, together in family, you see a great image of the Heavenly Father and who He is. In verse 24 of Genesis chapter 2, we discover that at maturity... A man and a woman leave their families, and they marry one another. And whenever they marry, they establish a new family. Whenever people stand right here and they exchange holy vows, that is a holy moment because there is a new family that is being established right there at that wedding. goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 2. For this reason, a man shall leave his family, and they shall cleave to one another, and they shall... They shall leave and cleave. Someone said one time that the goal of parenting is training your children to leave. <laughs> There's some merit to that. Well, in verse 28 of Genesis chapter 1 and in verse 25 of Genesis chapter 2, we see sexual intimacy introduced in Scripture. And we see that it was introduced to illustrate marriage, that sexual intimacy becomes a picture of the marriage itself, that a man and woman come together, I like to describe it as a private renewal of public vows. And it is an act of marriage for marriage. In verse 28 of chapter 1, there's the command to multiply. And we see in Scripture that from marriage and intimacy, babies are born, and then life is extended to New generations, part of the concept of marriage is this legacy aspect that future generations will be blessed through marriage and families grow and children are then raised by their biological parents as a part of a family that is established by God. And children are also part of an extended family that is established by God as he blesses them with grandparents, aunts and uncles, and he blesses them with communities where they can be raised with godly values and with a church like this where they can be raised and taught right and wrong and taught what family is to look like. Now, I realize that we live in a world where there is darkness, and I realize that not everything is ideal, and because sin has slithered into the world, there are times where this ideal scenario of marriage is our marriage and family are not possible. My own mother, whenever she was two years of age... Her mom died. My grandmother was 25 years old whenever she died. She died three weeks before Pearl Harbor. And because of that, my mom had to be raised by her extended family. Aunts and uncles, grandparents, cousins, they took her into their family and they would raise her and take care of her and try to help her. But she experienced family from her extended family. There are times where children are in need of adoption. For various reasons. And I'm so thankful whenever 
couples are willing to open their home and, and be a mom and a dad to a child that for whatever reason uh, is in need of adoption and their family grows whenever they adopt a child into their family. But I want you to understand this. Family is a page one truth of our faith. It is at the very foundation. And family is part of the fabric that holds society together. If family is taken away, we feel insecure, we feel alone, we feel depressed, and sometimes we even get angry. There is a part of us that desperately wants to protect our family. That's why some of you guys have the weaponry of a third world country in your home. If I were to go there and you were to feel real generous, you would show me your gun collection. And man, you could take out an army with what you have in your house. Because if someone threatens your family, there's going to be a fight to the death. Am I right? Someone barges into your home and tries to hurt your family, you're not just going to clap and applaud. You're going to fight. Criminals and terrorists pose threats to our family. But the greatest threat to family today is the growing idea that family is no longer important, that it's just a minimal aspect of our society. If I wanted to tear apart the importance of family, I would have to be subtle about it because there's something within us that knows it's important. And so I'd have to be subtle. If I were too aggressive in trying to tear apart family, people would push back. And so I would need to have a subtle strategy. But if I wanted to tear apart family, what I would begin with is I would redefine sexuality so that it no longer illustrates marriage, but instead just illustrates me as an individual. And then whenever I take it out of that context where it's no longer connected to marriage and then ultimately to the extension of life if the Lord blesses uh, and just make it something that is at the whim of the individual, then I can begin remaking family and marriage from there. I would also redefine success. I would try to create a culture in which we measured success by money, things, and experiences and the collection thereof. And the more of those things that you could collect, the more successful you are. And then I would encourage you to minimize the things that might shackle you from achieving those successes, such as marriage and family. Put those as secondary achievements instead of primary achievements. And then thirdly, I I would redefine responsibility. Food, water, shelter, security, education, well-being, worldview, morals, ethics, religion. Those would become the domain of society rather than family. And I think if you gave me a hundred years and you gave me trillions of dollars and multiple media outlets and systems of education, it might be possible to succeed in tearing the family to shreds. Mom and dad, aunt, uncle, grandparent, if you take seriously the responsibility of protecting your family, you got to do more than just guard the door. You've got to guard the heart. And the front door to the heart, the eyes. And the back door to the heart are the ears. And I want to encourage you. If you're a believer in Christ, I want to encourage you to defend God's idea of family with the same intensity you would defend your home 
should an intruder try to harm your children. Because attacks on the family are attacks on the well-being of your children, your grandchildren, and the society in which they live. Paul reminds us in verse 14 that he bows before the Heavenly Father, and it is from God that every family in heaven and on earth is named. Family is not my idea. It's not your idea. It's God's idea. As we celebrate Christmas and we think about our families both at home and at church, Paul begins to transition the passage into a season of prayer. And from this passage, there are three Christmas prayers that I invite you to join me in praying for your family and for our family here at church. The first is this. I pray that our families may be strengthened with inner power from God's Spirit. Look at verse 16 of Ephesians chapter 3. He says, I pray that he may grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power in the inner man through his Spirit and that the Messiah may dwell in your hearts through faith. Among the greatest accomplishments of parenthood is the ability to speak to the heart of your children. My kids are young, and whenever they are little, I can control their behavior because I'm bigger than they are. And I am also their source of pizza, milk, and toys. And because of that, I can kind of hold them hostage in some ways when it comes to their behavior. But as children grow older, an amazing deafness to wisdom occurs when they've never learned to listen from their heart. And so one of the prayers that I have as a father is that I pray that my family is strengthened with the power in the inner man through the Holy Spirit. Our student minister, Fletch, has a saying. He says, you can't be the Holy Spirit for your children. <laughs> Sometimes we try, don't we? But you can't be the Holy Spirit for your children. At some point, the Spirit of God has to grab a hold of them. And at some point, they have to learn to listen to the voice of God. And I know as parents and grandparents, we try to do everything we can to provide special moments and special things for our children that they enjoy throughout life. But one of the greatest things you can provide for those little ones that look up to you is an example of what it looks like to hear and obey the voice of God in your own life. What it looks like to be a part of a family where you do more than just simply bow your head and rehearse a prayer before meals. But when you as a family go to the Heavenly Father in prayer, seeking His strength and seeking His wisdom in the various decisions and challenges that you face as a family. One of the greatest things that we can teach those little ones that look up to us is we can teach them how to listen to the voice of God because there's going to come a day where you're no longer there right beside them throughout the various moments of their life and they themselves have to develop that skill, that spiritual ability to listen to the voice of God. And so Paul says, I, I pray for you. I pray that you will find strength in your inner spirit, that your inner spirit will be connected to God's spirit. 
there's a second Christmas prayer. And that is, I pray that our families may know the love of God. If you look at the last half of verse 17, Paul says, I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width, height and depth of God's love, and to know the Messiah's love that surpasses knowledge, so you may be filled with all the fullness of God. My parents moved into the house in which they live back in 1980. So they've been living in that house now for 35 years. I was just a little guy whenever they moved into that house. And the trees that are there at their house today are very tall. But whenever I go home to visit, I remember those trees whenever they were just little saplings, you know. Here in the Metroplex, whenever we build a new suburb, we just like mow everything down. And so you can always tell when the houses are new because the trees are short. They're not that tall. But as the houses age, eventually the trees begin to get tall and the neighborhood begins to take on that established look. And whenever you go to one of those older neighborhoods and walk into one of those older homes, there is this comfort and stability. The trees are big. There's this beautiful canopy. And you walk into grandma's house or you walk into your parents' house and there's just... They've been there for 40 years, and there's just this comfort that you feel because people have established themselves in this home and in this neighborhood. Now, go back in and look at the passage again. In verse 17, he says, I I pray that you being rooted and firmly established in love. That phrase there, firmly established in love, If you drill down into it, the literal meaning is to settle down, to feel at home. It's the same connotation that we would be giving whenever we say, I'm moving to this area and we're going to put down roots. You've been in the area for a while and you say to yourself, I've become established in this community. And so the idea here is that we will be established, that we will find home in the love of God, and that whenever we uh, walk into our home, there is a comfort and stability that is grounded in the love of God. And then he uses the imagery from nature, that we will be rooted in love. And I think about those trees that my parents have in their neighborhood, those trees that have had decades during which to grow, If I decide to myself, hey, I want to transplant one of those trees to my house, and I go over there with a shovel, I'm not going to get very far, you know, because those trees, they have deep roots. They say that the roots go as far out as the canopy of the tree, and that they go down, you know, literally feet into the ground. There is no way that I'm going to be able to dig up one of those trees and put it in the back of a pickup. just not going to happen. Because they are rooted, they, they are established. And so, if you were to really kind of break down Paul's prayer, his prayer is that God's love might be so fully at home in your family that it sits on the back porch and enjoys a Christmas dinner with you beneath the shade of towering oaks that have been rooted in decades of love and faithfulness. Is your family a place 
where God's love is at home, where you are comfortable living in and dwelling in God's home, God's love. Is God's love alive in your marriage? Is it alive in your relationship with your children, in your relationship with your parents? Are you dwelling and living in God's love? There's a third prayer that I have for us, and that is I pray for a family legacy that brings glory to God for generations. When you move into verse 20, Paul writes, Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask. And this is important because as I've discussed the earlier stuff, there's some of you that are saying, man, this is a lot. I don't know exactly how I can have this kind of home. I don't know exactly how I can mend this relationship that is strained within my family. Well, in verse 20 it says that we have a God who is able to do above and beyond what we ask. There are some things that only God can do. And we have a God that is able to do those things. To the God that can do all this. Or think according to the power that works in us. And verse 21 says, To Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. So literally within this family that God has established, that lives at your address, this family that God has established, that gathers here weekly for worship, our ultimate aim is that we will give God glory and that we will find something in Christ Jesus that extends the glory of God not just to our generation, but it might be extended to generations that come long after we're gone. And the glory of God that is being extended to these generations will ultimately be connected to things which are eternal. That word, amen, so let it be, truly. It is the conclusion of the prayer that God's glory will last for all eternity. When you're young, you don't really think that much about legacy. Whenever you're growing up, you usually think about trying to get established. And so you think about, I need to make good grades in school so that I can get in college. And then you get into college and you start thinking about, I need to major in this so that I can have a career here. And and you try to organize your life in such a way where you can have food, water, shelter, which is important. And, And then along the way, you begin thinking about love and who, who is it that I'm going to uh, connect my life with? And who will I fall in love with? And, and you're, you're establishing your life. The roots are growing. But then there's this time, usually somewhere in your 30s. For some of us, it doesn't hit us to our 40s. But then you have a job. You have a house. When you wake up in the morning, your back hurts. And you look around, and there's people counting on you. There very well may be underneath your roof mouths to feed. And you, so you start thinking about it. What, what kind of legacy is your family going to leave to coming generations? What is the call of your family? Why did God put you together? How are you going to be able to accomplish something as a family that outlives you? and ultimately connects your family to something that is eternal? 
What kind of impact can you have on generations of people who will be living life after you're long gone? What's your legacy going to be? And as a church, what is our legacy going to be? You know, people have gathered in this church for over 100 years. Murphy Road Baptist Church started as Murphy Baptist Church. It's one of the reasons why we sometimes abbreviate as Murphy Church. Started back in 1890. There was a little lady that began reading her New Testament and discovered that baptism in the New Testament didn't occur when a baby was born. It occurred after someone was born again in Christ. And so they established the Murphy Baptist Church. And the Murphy Baptist Church met through World War I, through World War II. It gathered weekly as a family. Today we experience the legacy of those individuals that had the foresight to establish this church. Yesterday I got word that Helen Gunn passed away. Uh, probably most of you don't know Helen. Helen's been in a, a senior community for several years now. and She attended the 830 service whenever she was able to come. Whenever I met her seven years ago, she was already in her 80s. And she had been a member of this church since the 70s. I mean, she had been here for a long time. Helen was a very kind, sweet person. She was always here, always had a smile on her face, always had an encouragement in her speech. When she was younger, she was the treasurer of this church. She made sure that the offerings got counted and the monies were handled with integrity. She would also work as an Awana worker. And she would teach little boys and girls the scriptures and love on them. She would sing in the choir. And she did all this with a singleness of purpose. She wanted to bring glory to God. This week we will likely gather in this room to honor her life. You probably won't hear about her life on the evening news. But everyone in this room today experiences her legacy. Because as you enjoy this church, as you worship with your brothers and sisters in Christ, you're a part of a church that she helped to build. You're enjoying ministries that she helped to establish. And together we enjoy family. Because that's what we as a church are. We're a church family. And so I pray that we are a family. I pray for your marriage and for your family. That you will have strength in your inner spirit to hear the voice of God. I pray that your family might be established in the love of God. And I pray that what we do in this wonderful thing called family will last for generations and have an impact that touches eternity. Would you be so kind as to stand with me, please, as we bow our heads and we come to a time of commitment. I'll be here at the front. If there's anything I may pray with you about, if today is the day in which you feel called to become a follower in Jesus Christ, please come see me. I would enjoy being a pastor to you and to helping you in that decision.
Heavenly Father, we bow before you acknowledging that you are our God and that we have come here today to worship you as God. And I thank you for every family that is represented within this room. I thank you for this family that we collectively have called church. I pray that we might be a family that brings you glory. I pray that long after we are gone, that there will be people sitting in these seats, people proclaiming your greatness on this property. That there might be a legacy that extends to generations. I pray, Father, for the individual families that are represented here, that as people come into their homes, that they might find a home that is deeply rooted in your love, a home where your love is comfortable and welcomed, and people experience the grace of family being displayed before them. I pray, Lord, that you will help us to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit Help us, Lord, not to be stubborn. Help us, Lord, not to think that we somehow know better than you. But may we listen to your voice and humbly follow you. And realize, Lord, that you have revealed to us truth that was truth before we were born and will continue to be truth long after we're gone. So may we live in that truth and may we be set free by that truth to enjoy the beautiful life that you've called us to. Lord, I do pray for healing. Pray, Father, that if there is conflict, strain between relationships, that you might heal that brokenness. I pray, Father, that when we come into contact with people that, for whatever reason, are walking in darkness, that you might give us wisdom and grace to love them and help them as your spirit leads. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.